welcome to another episode of What Is My Podcast About? I am Matthew, joined by Peter. Hello, hello, hello! And Keith. How's it going? And this podcast, as per usual, is one where we get together once every two weeks to talk about some random topic and attempt to find out what we want to talk about for our podcast. So how have you guys been over the past two weeks that we haven't seen each other or heard from each other? It's a known fact that we actually do not socialize outside of this podcast because we hate each other. Yeah, we literally cannot stand to be in the same room together. It's the whole reason, like, COVID was a great excuse, but we just, like, we're going to start doing recordings over the internet regardless just because we can't stand <laughs> each other. Uh, I'm that, doing well. I'm sitting down right now. On the internet? Yeah. On the internet, no one can On tell us sitting, sitting down. down. Yeah, what were you saying? I was saying that I am good. That is good. God, you can really feel the tension between us. We really don't like each other. <laughs> I mean, there wasn't too much that happened, obviously. Uh, some things, I guess, going back a bit further, we actually didn't talk about last episode, but uh, Kazuya was announced as the uh, penultimate uh, fighter character in Smash. Oh, yes. Yep. All right. Didn't they also say that they're not doing any more fighter packs or something like that? Yeah, uh, Sakurai like, pretty much said the equivalent of there's one more and that's it. Please stop asking me for characters. Please let me sleep for the love of God. Uh, yeah, it was Sakurai, I'm exhausted and I need to sleep for perhaps at least a month. This is all you're getting. Which I can respect. I like it when a man knows how to say, I'm done with this. This is never happening again. <laughs> Chicken Witch, final episode of the podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. <laughs> We're never doing this again. Doesn't that mean we found out what the podcast is about, so we just need to change the name of the podcast to that topic? You're right. We're doing a podcast about the topic that we're going to talk about today. I don't want to say what it is, just in case people don't look at the title. As we have no, discovered, there's at least one audience member who doesn't read the title before listening to the podcast. Good on them. Which Peter was very elated to find out. I was very excited to hear that. Uh, and then the other thing to mention is that... Uh... The Netflix series Resident Evil, uh, as of recording this, actually just would have started up. Ooh, I didn't realize that. I'm going to yeah. have to restart my Netflix subscription to watch that. Yeah, I haven't started watching it yet, but it is something I'm going to look forward to. It seems to be a story that takes place kind of as a follow-up to 2, but before Resident Evil 4. Okay, I like that. Interesting. Something that I'm probably not going to watch. Because, you know, Resident Evil and all that. Fair. Not my typical cup of tea. You'll end up watching it in October when we make you. Yeah, most likely. That mythical yep. month of October where we lock Matt in a room and force him to just digest content. We don't let him until <laughs> afterwards. Uh, that's such a good month. Weird that we're making plans for a podcast in October when we've already declared that we're ending the podcast. Uh... I guess we could just keep forcing Matt to observe scary things, uh, even if we're not doing a podcast. That could be what we normally do anyway. Yeah, that could actually be an interesting podcast idea. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, do we put Matt through today? Just uh, not even uh, us continuing this podcast in the month of October. It's just our new podcast is What Are We Scaring Matt With Today? <laughs> All right. I'm just glad we stopped doing that punishment game. That pepper was enough to kill my tongue. Yeah. I'm glad that's not what our podcast became. That would have been a whole fucking thing. Um, so... 
Do we just want to get into it? I kind of just want to talk about the thing we're going to talk about. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, one other thing that came out this week was a new update for Warframe, but I couldn't play it because I was preparing for this episode. Too busy binging nine movies back to back. Yep. It's a fast binge, I must say. Were you pretty furious that you didn't get to play any of the uh, Warframe? Um, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> so you were doing things fast while furious. Okay, good to know. Yes, yes. Speaking of which, the that sounds that too fast getting... and too furious. Uh, it does sound too fast and too furious. Well, we're going to put our foot down to the metal and get right into this topic being Fast and the Furious. Our plan is to focus on the newest movie, Fast 9, but we'll see how I... things unfold. Sorry, I have to correct you. The newest movie is just called F9, yeah, The Fast Saga. Yeah. F9. Yeah, and uh, Matt, uh, I feel like before I ask you any questions about this, I want you to recap the story thus far up to 9, and I so you want don't have you to... to get the titles correct. Okay. You don't have to talk about anything that happens in F9. I just want to recap of the first movie up to the 8th movie. Yeah, and again, getting the titles correct is going to be really important here. Yes. So, uh, as I was going through the movies, I wrote down the titles and a little bit about <laughs> each of the movies. My first one was definitely my most clever, because uh, everything just started, or my mind started to just melt after watching movies back to back to back <laughs> to back. Uh, at least you weren't playing the family drinking game. That could really ruin your mind for the fucking later movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, fast, fast Five, you just die. Yeah, it's starting at Fast Five, it just starts to get worse and worse and worse. But, starting off the series with The Fast and the Furious, where vigilante truck drivers put a time squeeze on an undercover street racing cop. Too Fast, Too Furious being the second one, is an incompetent police chief deals with a Fast and Furious-styled The Transporter plotline, which also included an epic scramble near the end and a Dukes of Hazard finale. Yep. Then the Fast and the Furious Tokyo's Drift, which was uh, my least favorite of the series, but has the best character in the series. It's Sean, right? Wh no. <laughs> which one's the best character in the series? It's Twinkie. It's Bow Wow. Right? It's Twinkie. Peanut Guy, or uh, Han. <laughs> Han, name, as I learned later on. Yes, he is the I best character him, in the series. For the entire movie, I just called him Peanut Guy because the first time you see him, he's eating from a bag of peanuts. That's fair. Like, Peanut Guy is all-knowing and all-seeing. Snickers Guy has what you need. Wannabe Yakuza, Japanese school life, and some drifting. The wannabe Yakuza drifts after school. That's the entire movie. Yeah, that's fair. Fast and Furious is number four. Murder? Um, street racer and forensic scientist? Bizarre. <laughs> Not so secret agents Dom and Badge take down a drug cartel to get revenge. Ooh. Number five is just Fast Five. Rocky Roads ahead for a heist in Rio. I liked that one also. Hence the pun in there because The Rock made his appearance. Yep, that was a. Correct. <laughs> Fast and Furious Six is number six. Remember your family and come home. Also. Longest runway in the world. Jesus. Long <laughs> airport runway. Fast number seven is Fast and Furious 7. Nice and simple titles. 
For now, the sky's the limit when dealing with a revenge-seeking older brother assassin. Because that's a whole plot point. Yep. And the fate of the Furious is number eight. Computers are scary. Computers in cars are even more so, leading to Carmageddon. Family's important, but too much family seems to be a problem in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you gotta God. have a nice number of family. Uh, also, Matt, I do have an important question for you. Uh, yes. Did you come up with calling it Carmageddon yourself? I did. Okay, because that's actually what the fan base were calling it during the trailer. <laughs> yep. Oh my god. So I think, Matt, that means uh, you're quite already into the Fast uh, fan base now with that. Uh, a few oh. minor corrections. Uh, it's Fast Furious 5, the Rio heist, is the actual official title. And 7 oh, okay. is Furious 7, because it was supposed to pay homage to movies like Magnificent 7 and Samurai 7. Oh, okay. Yeah. But not bad. You got most of them. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm pretty impressed. Uh, <clears throat> so all in all, which was your favorite movie? You already mm. said that Tokyo Drift was your least favorite movie. Which one was your favorite, yes. though? My favorite one? Ooh. I think I'm going to have to say number seven. The one with uh, fucking Deckard Shaw for the first time. Yeah, because Jason Statham is just amazing in any movie he's in. It's true. He's pretty fucking great. Um, I suppose I'll say that my favorite movie, although I acknowledge it's definitely not the best movie in the series, but uh, it's very nostalgic for me because I just happened to have a DVD of it, so I watched it fucking repeatedly. It's the uh, short just... film that shows how Brian got to Miami after the first movie, right? No, it's actually Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Uh, <laughs> uh, fully recognized, not the best movie, but I had a DVD and I watched it probably hundreds of times when uh, when I was younger. I and feel, uh, yeah, I feel like with Tokyo Drift, I didn't care much for it when it came out, but the more movies that come out, the more fondly I look at it. Well, it's the like main one that tried to do something different from the rest of them. Yeah, because all of the rest, you can tell easily that they follow the same story. Just, uh, all of a sudden you get thrown into Tokyo Drift and you're following a brand new character. All of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, the series must be just deciding to go with different stories now. Sean, the 30-year-old high school student. Oh, well, yeah, because if I understand, or if I remember the timeline of events correctly, Fast and Furious came out starring Vin Diesel. Uh, they wanted to immediately make Too Fast, Too Furious. Vin Diesel wasn't fully convinced that the series would be a huge success and instead uh, decided to star in Triple X at the time. Uh, and so he was in that movie and they made Too Fast, Too Furious uh, without him. And then uh, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, they also decided they wanted to market to a wider international audience. So they made that one. And then finally, Vin Diesel was like, no, I can see this is going somewhere. I'm coming back for this. Triple X did not work out well for me. I thought the main reason he came back for uh, Tokyo Drift specifically was so he could get the rights to Riddick. And then his also agreement also mean that he had to do at least one more movie in the franchise. And then that's mm. when it started looking good. Yeah, that's right. He, yeah, he signed the contract to come back and do one more movie in order to get the rights to Riddick. And then after that movie, that's when he started to realize it was going to go somewhere. Yeah. It wasn't until the... Uh third movie anyway, 
or the the fourth movie actually that uh because the third movie was Tokyo Drift, but it wasn't until the fourth movie that you start to realize okay, there's actually connections to Tokyo Drift because it starts off with the uh with the oil truck heist and uh you get to see that hey Han, Mr. Peanut Guy is part of Dom's crew at this point. You're like, okay. And then he leaves and you're like, oh no, I saw Tokyo Drift. <laughs> I know he's gonna die. Han's yep. always threatening us with, I'm gonna go back to Tokyo. It's like, no Han, stay away. It, like literally every movie he's talking about going back to Tokyo. To the point where to get into Fast Nine a little bit. They even address that part where like they're asking him what happened. He was like, I was always talking about going back to Tokyo. And then finally, when oh fuck, what was Gal Gadot's character's name? Regardless, Giselle. When she finally, when she finally died, I decided I would hold up my word and go back to Tokyo, and that's when all that shit happened. Which I guess we're good to get to the point now, uh, Matt. What was the plot of Fast Nine? I had written down flashback to family drama. Brothers don't have to get along, but this family's bonds are magnetic. <laughs> And also a little side That one note. hurt. I yeah. love it. But also a side note, Roman is unkillable. Because <laughs> he comes to the realization that he is invincible. <laughs> to be fair, it's not Roman is unkillable. It's that they're all fucking unkillable. To the point where I believe when Seven came out, uh, me and Keith had the theory that, they, that Dominic Toretto was actually a Terminator. Uh, was the explanation for how he survived everything he fucking did. Yeah, um, pretty much Dominic is the only one that gets scratched up, though. Everyone else gets through it unscathed. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I went to the theaters to watch this movie, clearly, and uh, the beautiful thing about it, there's a scene in this movie where Dom's father looks at him and tells him that the car is invincible, it will last forever, and I just look over to the person I was there watching the movie with and say, he took that literally. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also went to the theaters to watch this one. and oh, First of all, what a great fucking feeling going back to theaters to watch a movie that's newly released. It hasn't happened for me since I want to say I believe Tenant. Tenant was the last one, yeah. No, there was nothing since then. So yeah, Tenant has happened since Tenant and now I'm looking to start doing it more and more in the future, which is a fantastic feeling. Uh but yeah, the the fucking clearly Dom took that line seriously. And also took to heart the like mentality of the car is a metaphor for life, not just the car. So his life is also immortal if he uh, takes care of it. Specifically uh, when it he's in out. a car, though. Being in a car. Specifically when he's in a car, yes. Well, that's what it means to take care of your life, is to be inside of a car. And to be fair, he doesn't necessarily have to be inside the car. He can be adjacent to, car, uh, adjacent to the car, because there's that point in... Uh, Fast and Furious 6, when he, like, launches across a highway and gets caught on a car windshield with his back and is perfectly fine. Well, that's because so, uh, landing on a car is the best way to break any fall. It's completely safe. Yeah, I know. That's safe. That's what I'm saying. It's just he doesn't have to be inside the car. He just has to be in contact with a car to be invincible. Um, and we can see that that is true of his entire bloodline, because in this movie, we also see his brother get caught by a car and be perfectly unfazed. Um, so, just a brief aside here. We can all acknowledge that these movies are ridiculous, right? We shouldn't oh, be, yeah. like, taking any series. Normally, yeah, I, can go through these, I can go through these movies, like, you know, getting the chuckle and all that stuff. 
but I've never like kind of you know did like a sort of sigh like my god this is too insane. And that scene where Dom catches his brother with like the car that's flipping, like he smacks a car, and you see uh, Jacob Toretto, played by John Cena, his back bends on the car, and then he just kind of like rolls off it. I'm like, yep, <laughs> yep. Although the part I fucking loved from that same scene is when there's the like big henchman dude who's been working alongside uh, Jacob Toretto the entire time, and then the one with the good Tur- teeth. The, yeah, the one with the good teeth. And then fucking Dom like literally throws a car at him and we just never see him again. It's just like, <laughs> good to know cars are dangerous to some people because they're not dangerous to anyone whose name I know. I mean, that was I actually enjoyed that scene because that was Letty using the magnet to like, she spun out the car and released the magnet at the right time to toss it, which throwing oh, cars yeah. is kind of ridiculous. There was one other moment in this movie where I did like a, wait, what? Like, <laughs> like I, I guess I was getting too into it and trying to follow the logic. But after they flip the truck with the magnets, yeah, and Dom's still mm-hmm. in the truck, and he sees Cypher's plane coming around, and, he, and you see like he has that moment of realization. And the part that got me was he grabs a grenade and throws a grenade in front of the truck, and then the, flips the truck back onto its wheels. I'm like, wait a second, how did he figure that out? It's like, why couldn't they just do that before? Yeah, that one. Well, the best part is he does that, uh, yeah, he and the truck lands. That whole thing. He calculates it, and it works out perfectly to the point where the truck lands directly in front of the convoy of good guys between them and the truck. Uh, and Letty is really like, yeah, it worked! It's just like, how did you, in a hundred years, expect that to be what Dom was planning on doing? Like, how is your reaction not what the fuck, but instead, yes, of course he pulled it off. Oh, God. Also, another little thing that popped out to me near the beginning of F9 was when they first saw Jacob in the jungle and they start chasing him. Letty's on the motorcycle in front of Dom, or no, at this point, is in the car with Dom. They're chasing after Jacob and Letty says to Dom, that was Jacob back there, wasn't he? As if Jacob wasn't directly in front of them and they were giving chase. (laughs) I was like, he's right in front of you. He's not back there anymore. See, my big issue with this movie was the lack of understanding as to how magnets work. But once again, it's a very silly film, so it's ridiculous for me to get nitpicky about magnets. I mean, but it's, they far objectively... from the fir- it's far from the first movie that's an action movie to get magnets wrong, so I'll give it that pass. Oh, yeah. Now, as we said, there is a very high level of suspension of disbelief that you just develop when you're watching these movies. But in the eighth movie... There was just one tiny little detail that just slipped right through that suspension of disbelief for me. Oh, it was, was it the nuclear explosion where he was protected by cars? Uh, no. Well, that wasn't a nuclear explosion. Yeah, that was. Oh, well, not that nuclear explosion, still... but the explosion where he was protected by cars. That was still a little weird, but no, no, it, it wasn't was a very that. heartwarming moment, actually. <laughs> but no, it was an even smaller detail. It was when the submarine was first leaving to submerge underwater. And when the group gets out after pulling the nuclear launch chip, they leave the hatch door of the submarine open. And there's no <laughs> mechanical there's no mechanical mechanisms for what have you to close that door automatically. And no one mentions it. That sub <laughs> should be filling with water and then just just sinking. Probably. But, but that doesn't happen. Yeah. In that entire scene, I was like, is, is there going to be a payoff of that? They left the door open. Yeah, it blew up. That was the payoff. 
but nope, no payoff. Where do we... Do we just Are... get into the plot of Nine now, or...? So, yeah. I, I guess uh, a good point to start off is, what was everyone's thoughts on Nine? I So I have brought up some suspension of disbelief issues. Overall, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie because I've long since turned my brain to the point where it shuts itself off during a Fast and the Furious movie. I don't think I just enjoy the cool visuals that are happening. Oh, yeah, I think like the moment my, I first decided to, to turn my brain where, off. Yeah, it's to the point where you see Fast 9 or anything fast and you're like, okay, they're car gods. Nothing's going to happen to them. Yeah, the moment I had that realization, I believe, was back during Fast 5 when they're uh, just driving away with a stolen safe and they're reversing and then they uh, do a gear change to go into a higher reverse gear. That was the <laughs> moment I was just like, nope, uh, I no longer need to think about what's happening in these films. Everything makes perfect sense and that's just the way it is. Yeah, I think for me with 9, it's not that it's a, a bad movie, but it's definitely like, I feel like one of the weaker ones, like overall, spectacle-wise, oh, yeah. it's still fun. It's yeah. just I feel like nine kind of bogged itself down with a few problems where it had too many storylines that separated everyone instead of it being like the fun. But like the first half of the movie just feels like a lot of nothing is going on, but just kind of like visiting places. Well, I think the reason uh, I think the reason for that is that Fast Nine very much so felt like the Infinity War of the Fast Saga. In that, instead of it being all about everyone working together to fight the villain, it was about a whole bunch of pieces being in separate locations trying to solve individual problems to kind of set themselves up. Uh, I had this realization while watching this movie that the Fast and the Furious saga kind of, not perfectly, but kind of lines up with the MCU a little bit. <laughs> in that, like, ever since the fate of the Furious, uh, we've kind of entered phase three or phase four or i forget what the phases are in marvel uh but the moment Charlize theron's character became a part of the series and she's now just like the overarching bad guy behind everything that happens uh to the point where i assume part one and two of the untitled 10th film that they're making she was the one buying those uh hybrid dvd tv sets yeah we're gonna like have flashbacks to find out that she was behind so much more that happened. Like she was probably responsible for Jason Statham going after them. Um, well, she kind of was. That was revealed already because uh, she hired him to get Nightshade or whatever, or God's Eye. Right. She, she hired her brother, her brother, his brother, to get Nightshade for her. Yeah. And she wanted him to get God's Eye, but he was too busy saying, "I'm going to get revenge for my brother," and you also got my brother almost killed. Yeah. Um. But I'm sure it'll go even further back before that. Um. Yeah, because she has been, like, the looming threat in the shadows, causing all the problems in their world, so I wouldn't be surprised to learn that Fast ten, uh, the 10th and 11th film are just going to be them starting a war with her and ending a war with her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think she would definitely this be... Film was maybe, this film was maybe less so about, like, the actual plot and more so about recruiting John Cena to the franchise so that he can fight alongside them against her. Yeah, I, I feel like... Another problem this movie had was the fact that everyone is established as a character now. But then in the ninth movie of the series, they decide, okay, for this plot point to work, we need to establish a whole new key character 
establish his backstory and how he connects to everything. So we need to throw in a lot of flashbacks, a lot of uh, information about this family that hasn't existed until now, actually. So we're going to need a little bit of uh, creativity and filling in apparent blanks that have never been there before. To be fair, they have brought characters in that did well without giving that whole backstory. Ramsey, for example, her whole backstory was, I, I created God's Eye and I was on a truck. Yeah. And I have friends in Abu Dhabi, but I'm from uh, the UK. Yeah. Uh, uh, little Nobody, which I, I was surprised to see he wasn't in this movie. Yeah. yeah. To be I fair, was... they might just be leaving him out so that they can bring him back for the 10th film. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I was a little upset that we got next to nothing of Mr. Nobody in this one, though. Yeah, and that was kind well, of I... too, right? It was. I felt the first half of this movie kind of lacked direction, and I know why it did. But I feel like having uh, an agency character there, like Little Nobody or something, could have gave them a little bit more direction in the story, so it didn't feel like it was just a drag there for the first part. Yeah. Well, I think it was largely the reason he wasn't in this film is. They kind of tried to imply that he died during that plane crash, except they just never found his body. And I think they're specifically doing that so it can be revealed in the next film that he actually survived and is still here. Oh, regular nobody? Yeah. Mr. Nobody, the dude who sent the distress signal. Yeah, little nobody's the uh, agency guy that was, like, (laughs) too stiff, and then at the end broke the car uh, car thing. Right, yeah. All by the rules. He got it by the third rule, though. But yeah, uh, there was just like it felt like the cast was very small at the beginning, which it did end up expanding. But I just some sort of direction felt like it would have made sense because I don't know if it was the same for you guys, but this one felt kind of oddly enough the least like a fast movie. Yeah, yeah, well, I get that. Another point is all of the big heist things that they've done; they've all been guided or helped by the secret government agency or the FBI or something. And then Fast 9, it's like, as we mentioned, Mr. Nobody is not around and they're not getting help from anyone. So it's just their group figuring things out with, I guess, a little bit of help from a secret base that Mr. Nobody had. But that's, that's it. And the entire movie, as we said, just kind of feels like a setup to what's coming next. Yeah. And that's pretty much the, the big fault of this movie. It's like, it's very clearly setting things up. Like uh, the part where Dom gets arrested by Interpol and then they let him out. And it's like all the girls in the back is like, oh, I see what you're doing. You're setting up the all girls team. Yeah, like they, to the point where they reference stuff from the past that clearly hasn't happened by having Cardi B like thank Dom for getting her out of that situation that happened back then. Uh, that's clearly just them setting up the all girl led movie that's probably going to have a cameo from fucking Vin Diesel. And like half the people in that car are probably going to be recast by the time it happens. Oh yeah, oh, we're yeah, definitely. Like Cardi B is probably the only one we're actually going to still see. And even then it's like a 10% chance she also gets recast. Yeah, and uh, what was it? I was watching uh, someone talk about the movie and they they did a really good example of my problem with the opening of the movie. <clears throat> I didn't realize until afterwards, but why did Mr. Nobody contact Dom's team specifically to collect the thing from the plane when it's kind of already established that the best people to do this would be Hobbs and Shaw? Yeah, that one felt like a little bit of a stretch. Like the rest Mm -hmm. of the movie, yeah, you have the team there because they get pulled into it because of the brother. 
But if he's going to send a message to anyone, it's like, hey, the plane went down. I need you to get a special device. You send in Hobbs and Shaw. They're a lot better at the whole covert thing than the fucking ex-motors... Or not motorcycle. Ex-fucking-drag-racing crime team. I'm not saying fucking the family doesn't get things done. I'm just saying that they're not the first call I would make in this situation. They have a loud way of going about things. Yeah. Um, Loud engines and explosions. So yeah. We also get fucking Charlize Theron back. I want to talk about her for a second. Um, Cypher, the now reoccurring villain who's been responsible for a lot of the bad stuff that's happened since 6. Yeah, it was when Um, she hired Owen Shaw to get Nightshade, which also had Letty recruited. And Owen Shaw was kind of working for Braga, or Braga was working for him, so it connects back to 4. And then uh, she was trying to uh, get Deckard Shaw to work for, which didn't work out. So she's like, fuck it, I'll do it myself, and then hired Dom directly. And then she hires Dom's brother, kind of. Uh, Yeah, the hiring Dom's brother is less direct. It's more so that she's in competition, but then steals Dom's brother's team away from him uh, and ends up working with them directly. And it's just... I find it really funny that each of these movies since six has been her trying to get her hands on some technological MacGuffin, like the Nightshade, the God's Eye, uh, the Devil's Bumhole, the Ares. <laughs> um, was there one in fucking Fate of the Fears, or was it just her trying to get the nuclear sub? Uh, God's Eye was the one introduced to me. Oh no, that was seven. Yeah, so eight was just the nuclear warhead. Yeah, yeah, it was the nukes. Yeah, uh, so yeah, that one was the least technological MacGuffin. But I also enjoy how it's changed. I forget what Nightshade was supposed to oh, be. Oh, right, no, no, no. Eight, uh, eight started off with them stealing the mega-powerful EMP. So and Night- then that in combination with the nukes. Uh, Nightshade was actually, I guess, a weaker Ares, because Nightshade just shut off all technology. Okay. Yeah. And then Seven was the God's Eye, which tracked everyone on Earth, no matter where they were. And then, yeah, it was the EMP slash nuke. And then nine is the hacks into every piece of technology on Earth forever uh, and spreads from machine to machine, like, linked satellites. Yeah, this one is, Ares was more of a controlled everything, where Nightshade just kind of did the same thing, but shut off everything. All right, that's fair. suppose I can see why Ares would be the better one to have, because if you control the markets, it's a little bit better than just saying that there are no markets. Which is especially weird for someone like Cypher because her whole deal is she uses technology, so for her to want to turn off all technology is a little weird, but I'll accept it. I think her plan was more to turn off everyone else's technology so she's the only one with the technology working. Fair. Yeah, I'm not opposed to the weird technology stuff. It's just that's what the series has become. Actually, you know what? From the series' beginning, the MacGuffin has always been the most advanced technology that the writer can think of, to the point where in Fast 9, it's uh, Ares which can hack any device on Earth and gain control of every device on Earth. Whereas way back in the first one, the MacGuffin was DVD players. DVD players and some some high-tech grappling hooks to pull out a truck windshield. Yeah, there's that too. Um, Uh, High-tech, cool-looking Honda Civics that drive in unison with green lights. Yes. Let's not forget the Supra. Oh, the good old Supra. I also really enjoy how in this movie they like 
refused to like properly write Brian out of the series as a whole to the point where like he was the one presumably looking after all the kids while everyone else was fighting off in wars to the point where they wanted Mia to come back because obviously it's Dom's brother, so it's also Mia's brother. Mm-hmm. They write Mia back in and then just like offhandedly like Brian would come, but he's looking after the kids, so that's that. Which uh, got the- honestly the worst part that came out of this is I kinda wanna see that side movie. Yeah. Uh it like yeah, the worst part is that movie has definitely happened multiple times of gruff crime guy slash like man's man looking after a dozen kids and having to deal with those problems nowadays. Um, and you know that uh, Cypher would have gone after the kids for some sort of leverage if that was still an option on the table. Well, I will say there are rumors that uh, Paul Walker's brother might be coming back for the like the last two movies, uh, and they're going to use digital uh, repurposing uh, for the face hmm. and stuff. Okay. Um, I did enjoy, like... In the final, because every movie in the series ends with them having a barbecue in the backyard of Dom's family house. Family barbecue. The family barbecue, and the family just gets bigger each and every time. Uh, and I enjoy how they're all like sitting around talking about like getting ready for the barbecue and how everyone's starving. And then like Dom holds up his hand and he's like, "There's still one seat empty." And Mia turns to him and she's like, "Don't worry, he's on his way." And then we see fucking Brian's car pull into the driveway, and it's just like. I get why they're doing that and all that, because, like, Brian's still alive in-universe, and he's just fucking retired from doing all that shit, but, like, that doesn't mean that they wouldn't hang out with him. It just raises so many questions, like, why did Mia go there ahead of Brian? Why is Brian coming late? It's... I'm fine with it, it's just... It feels weird. He lives in a different time zone and had to put his kids to bed. It's like they're constantly acknowledging the fact that Paul Walker passed away while refusing... But doing it in such a way of making it clear that Brian did not pass away. Oh, yeah, it's like the end of Seven. Like, the end of Seven was great, like, a good send-off to Paul Walker. But if you look at it mm-hmm. just from, like, a narrative sense, it's like, why are they all talking like Brian's dead? Yeah. To the point where, like, it feels weird that they named their child after Brian when Brian's still alive. That's the kind of shit you pull when your friend passes away, not when your friend just retires. You don't start naming your kids after them. Actually, uh, I was talking about this a while ago where it's like, it would have been more fitting if they would have named, like, Dom's kid Paul. Because then it's like a nod to the actor, not the character. Because naming him Brian doesn't make sense. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd be more on board with it if they named the kid Paul. All right, let's let's talk about the backstory stuff, I guess. The the stuff that happened before that informed who Dom is as a person nowadays. So I wasn't surprised they were going to finally go back to the death of the father. The one thing that I got worried about during this whole thing, though, was I was it almost looked like they were going to have Jacob be the one that beat the guy half to death, and then Dom took the fall for it. And I was like, I don't want that retcon. Like, <laughs> it's yeah, no. you're just trying to make Dom like the perfect person at this point. <laughs> Yeah, Dom, like, they're still making Dom a very good person, because even if Jacob wasn't the one who beat him and Dom took the fall for him, that would have been excessive, but they still clearly make it clear that Dom stops Jacob from beating the shit out of him, No, this so is my that job. Dom can yeah. beat the shit out of him <laughs> and take the fall for it, because yeah, it's not I taking s- the fall if he actually did it. When I saw the scene, though, when Jacob picked up the wrench, like, I got the feeling that, I don't know, he doesn't actually have... I guess, the guts or whatever to go through with it. 
like just the way he was kind of hesitantly holding the wrench. Like, yeah, okay, he, he was. He wasn't actually going to do it. It kind of alluded to the fact that he is, st or he still believes that he's living in Dom's shadow, and everyone else believes that he's the, like the useless brother. Which was just like so fucking harsh. Like I, I had seen no. Like it would have been nice if they included some like example of fucking Jacob being useless. Yeah. But it's Jacob, like, working in the pig crew, doing exactly what his father told him, to the point where, like, it looks like Jacob kills his dad, and it's really just the dad putting plans into place and getting Jacob to follow through on them, and it working out that way because of it. And fucking, like, there's no example of Jacob being useless outside of everyone else referring to Jacob as being useless. Yeah. You want to know something stupid about this whole scene, too. So we find out later that Dom's dad had Jacob cut the line so that the car would fail, so that it would they would throw the race. But it's also said moments before in the race that it doesn't matter where he places, he'll still finish first this season. Who the fuck is yeah. he throwing for? I think he's throwing for the other guy because he wants the other guy to win the race so that he'll still get, like, Dom's dad will still get the benefit of winning the season, but the other guy will get the title of winning the race because Buddy owes money and I assume it just worked out that he bet against himself on the race still knowing that he would have the honor of winning the season. But like I don't know for sure. It was a little bit bad. <laughs> yeah. They went about it in a very convoluted way. Because you can throw a race without fucking over your car. You just like, ah, oh, whatever. Just, I Just don't push the, the gas down so much. But yeah, and then we get, uh, Dom gets out while in prison. Dom hears about the trick of Pit Cruz fucking with the car in order to make it not go as fast, and immediately remembers Jacob was the one working on the car. Clearly, he fucked with the car and killed our father. Like the thing that bugs me about this is Dom calls out Jacob for killing their father, and it's just like, why'd you kill him? Like making it sound like not only is he responsible for the death, but Jacob did those things in that way so that the dad would die, which, like, even the darkest reading you can take of that, Jacob wouldn't have expected that the dad would fucking die from that. He was clearly, even if the dad wasn't in the know, he was doing it so that the they would lose the race. There's no way Jacob could have predicted that he would have fucking died, and so for, jo uh, for Dom to jump to the conclusion of, why did you kill our father, is just a little bit yeah. extreme. I mean, and even on top of that, there's nothing to suggest that he cut the line either, or the line was cut on that car. It could have been just, you know, if everyone believes Jacob is this useless, he might have just missed it. Yeah. yeah. It Someone else could have done it, and Jacob's just too useless to realize what happened. That would have made a lot more sense to jump to that conclusion, because they were trying to push home so hard the fact that he was the useless son. So why make him super competent at doing little changes to a car's hood to make it get engulfed in flames. You know what I think would have made that scene a whole bunch better, a whole lot better to me, is if Dom accused Jacob of fucking with the car line and, like, like not accused him of murder, just accused him of fucking up the car and being responsible for the death. And then Jacob, like, tried to use the defense of, I must have missed it, you know I'm useless with that stuff. And I would have loved it if we got, like, an emotional, heart-wrenching line of, like, Dom being like, everyone else thinks you're useless, I know you're very capable, now get the fuck out of my family forever, like, 
if they had had the reveal that Dom never considered Jacob to be useless, but nope, Dom also acknowledges the fact that Jacob's useless. Now, uh, uh, going back to heartbreaking moments, uh, are any of you guys pissed off that John Cena and uh, Vin Diesel did not hug at the end of the movie? Thrilled about the fact that they didn't hug. I I am very upset they didn't hug. They set us up with that hug for so long in that movie, and it just didn't happen. It'll it'll come at the end of the next movie. I no, it it'll, it'll come movie. at the I end of the now. Movie. We already know the next movie is being broken into two parts, and there's the tenth part one and tenth part two. We're not getting that hug until the oh, end of tenth right. part two. I mean, as soon as they announced, well, Vin Diesel specifically said, uh, "Fast Ten and Fast Eleven will be happening." Uh, also, it's he specifically said it's Fast Ten and Furious Eleven. Yes, uh, for the movies, I knew it's like okay, it's going to be a two-parter. No matter how how you slice it, it's going to be a two-parter. And then uh, Justin Lin, the director, uh, even said he's looking to visit all characters that have unresolved storylines. Yeah. Uh, the best part about that is, like, they even, like, teased the Dom and Jacob hug. And then just had Mia hug Jacob for Dom. And yeah. then Jacob just fucking left. It was, it was tough. I assume what's going on is this is another real-world action bleeding over into the movies. And it's just that Vin Diesel is hesitant to trust another <laughs> Macho Man after his interactions with uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So uh, he's holding out before. and waiting a couple films to see if uh, John Cena is worthy of receiving a hug from him. He's been hurt once before. He can't take it again. Yeah, he needs to learn to trust again. You know, if that's a story, I can accept it. I'm just a little bit sad that... Uh, Clearly, Fast and the Furious lost fucking Jason Statham in the divorce. Uh, not necessarily, because uh, as we hop to this end credit scene uh, that happened in the movie, uh, Han visits uh, Shaw. Oh, that's right. We do. I completely forgot about the end credit scene where Shaw is just beating up a fucking uh, heavy bag, uh, heavy punching bag, only to like open up and see a person. The person's like, I'll tell you where, where the, the MacGuffin is. And Shaw's like, oh, don't worry, I already know about it. He's like, then why are you doing this? And Shaw's just like, this is how I stay in shape. And just, like, zips him back up. (laughs) (laughs) Which it seems like they're almost trying to make him a little bit more villainous, like he was before. Because uh, the whole Deckard Shaw turn, where he became kind of like an anti-hero, was the only movies that were not directed by Justin Lin in the current setup. In fact, Justin Lin even said the reason he came back, because he wasn't going to come back, but then at the end of Fate of the Furious, where Deckard Shaw is there for the family barbecue, he's like, wait, what? Yeah, especially after setting Deckard Shaw up as this big fucking villain and then seeing him show up at the end of Fate and the Furious. Yeah, I can see why that would upset Justin. I mean, Lai. him showing up to drop off the baby, that's fine. Uh, personally, I am a big Han fan, but I also like Deckard Shaw. So I, if they become friends, that'd be cool. But... I know there's a lot of the fan base that's like, you know, the Justice for Han hashtag and all that, or they want Deckard dead. Uh, To be fair... I'm not on that chain. Now that we know Han didn't die, I I will admit, initially, I was definitely on the Justice for Han side of uh, Shaw killed Han, Han deserves justice, Shaw should die. Now that we know that Han essentially... Like, Deckard didn't even come close to killing Han, Han saw Deckard escape and used it as an opportunity to fake his own death. I'm no longer concerned with getting justice for Han. Han's alright in my book. And it's already been established that Deckard in the past was actually 
like an amazing soldier. Yeah, it's the same or, thing that happened to The Rock at the beginning of 8, essentially, that happened, where he was doing a mission, it went bad, and they, you know, disavowed him. Yeah, and then he's now regarded as a criminal, and he just went about doing things after that differently than Hobbs. Yeah, and that but, was actually a problem with Hobbs and Shaw, too, where clearly in 8, the Shaw and Hobbs, like, they kind of became, like, buddies. Because they both yeah. realize things. And then uh, Hobbs and Shaw just starts off with them being like, fuck this guy. Was, my favorite scene, though, in uh, Fast 7, or no, Fast 8, just was when uh, Deckard Shaw was saving the kid. And that, that, just, that whole fight on the airplane where he's just carrying the little baby. Yeah, he's getting pissed off at other people for making too much noise because he's carrying a baby. And man, that child is extremely chill when you just give him some music. Yeah. The thing yeah. I love with that is, like, at the end of that fight thing, he, like, yep. he looks back, he's like, you just try to shoot a baby! <laughs> oh, fuck, I forgot how great that fucking scene is. And then yeah. he's walking out of the room at the end of the fight, he's like, wait, that smell. Is that you? Looks at the baby, the baby's like, uh... Looks down at the guy he just killed, he's like, no, definitely him. <laughs> yeah, they did such a good work job of, like, I feel like, kind of humanizing the character that to just have it the you know han versus shaw thing to be just like you know a match between a bad guy and a good guy just doesn't work anymore yeah, yeah. i think the end credit even, scene is probably han setting up something for the next movies that he needs shaw's help with yeah they even went out of their way to show just how much uh, deckard shaw cares about family just like uh, dom does yeah i assume what it's gonna end up being is it's gonna end up being Han like burying the hatchet and being like, "Hey, by the way, you never killed me, so there's no hard feelings. But you're still gonna pay me back because you tried to kill me. So you're gonna help me with this thing I'm working on." Yeah, something like that. Mm -hmm. I do like how many mem like a good amount of like the Fast and the Furious gang at this point uh, is essentially split between two groups, where like some of them are the street racing criminals who now have spy training. And the rest of them are, like, actual legitimate, like, secret agents with very specialized training. Um, and it's just slowly shifting more and more from the first column to the second column. And then like, now we've officially... Invincible Roman. Yeah, we've officially... Roman will never be moved over to the actual secret agent column. Uh, but Han has been moved over to the secret agent column. To the point where, like, I don't think he would win on a one-on-one, -on -one, like, fisticuff fight with Han... But I or with Shaw, but I do think he could hold his own in like a spy off with Shaw. That's true. Mm -hmm. He's very different from the Han that got his ass kicked in uh, six. Yes. <laughs> uh, so uh, Jessalyn did say that moving forward, he also wants to kind of like bring back characters that like haven't had their stories finished. Uh, any ideas on what characters you think those might be? I don't know, maybe Giselle. I mean, it's like. To be fair, like keep talking about how she's dead, and I guess nobody also kind of confirmed her as dead in this movie. Yeah, because but... she just fell into the darkness. Yeah, the this would not be the is first time. The same as what Owen. happened to Owen. Shine. Yeah, Owen did the exact same thing, and he's fine. Well, he's and scarred he survived. up, but he, he was more scarred up at the end of, I mean, at the beginning of seven than he was at the end of eight. Yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, there's. This would not be the first time that they confirmed a character as dead, only to later decide to bring them back. 
that's true. They completely MacGuffin Han back to life, and they didn't even explain. This kind of finger waved. It's like, oh, so good. Well, I've done better. It's like, wait, what? Yeah, the, he was just in the car, and then he wasn't in the car. He was in the car. The car flipped and exploded, and then the next thing we know, Han was sitting on the sidewalk watching the car flip and explode. I have so many questions, but we're just not going to bother answering Yeah, they could have done something like, you know, maybe Han hopped out of the car and it was being remote-controlled by Han or something like that. Like, all we know is that he was just there watching the explosion, but he was in the garage when it started, so, like, something happened in there. Yeah, which, like, also makes it kind of fucked up what he did to, uh, cool guy, Mick... Sean? 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 Yeah, that's, that's his name. Thank you for helping me out. Uh, I prefer to think of him as cool guy, Mick protagonist. Uh, I'm gonna um, be honest. I actually I do like the character of Sean. He's fun at the very least. I I like the character as well. I thought he was a neat direction to take the protagonist for the series, uh, only for them to go back to Dom. But uh, so I'm actually really glad that they uh, brought him back um, in this movie and kind of brought back uh, Fast and Furious Three into the fold. Yeah. Um, but yes, I. It's a little bit fucked up to do that to Sean, and that like the timeline timeline of events is now Mister Nobody finds out that Jacob has gone rogue and is now working against him. He then finds out that Shaw is hunting members of uh, fucking Dominic Toretto's team. He sends fucking Han a warning. He's like, "Hey, by the way, shit's going down. We're gonna need you to go undercover. We're gonna fake your death." using this guy who's currently hunting you to kill you. And, like, clearly Han just, like, hung out in his garage eating peanuts right up until the moment it was time to drive away, knowing he was faking his death. And it's just so much planning, and him not telling fucking anybody else about it is a little bit fucked up, but I guess he is a secret agent, and he's used to keeping secrets at this point. I mean, if you watch Seven with that context now, it, not Seven, uh, Three, Tokyo Drift, it kind yeah. of feels like he... It's not that he's doing it maliciously. It sounds like his interaction with the character seems almost like he's trying to set them up for when he's gone. Yeah. That's fair. And also, I do like how uh, in 3 with Han, you keep getting these little hints. Oh, he has a ton of money. You're like, okay, how'd he get it? And then you finally learn, oh, he got $11 million from that heist they did. Yeah. Doesn't care well, about... Well, not only that, he right. clearly was... He not only got the eleven million dollars from the heist, he clearly also got paid for like stealing Ares for Mister Nobody. Oh yeah. Oh no, the Ares stealing would have happened after he faked his death. I, I thought know. it was before because didn't Mister Nobody hire him to steal Ares from them, and then he started working for Mister Nobody, which is while working for Mister Nobody, he was uh, then faked his death. So what I believe uh, timeline wise here is he goes back to Tokyo. And this is before Sean uh, shows up. That Mister Nobody hires him, but he doesn't hire like he doesn't hire him as like a you're going to steal Ares for me. It's more if he hires him to kind of fill the role that Giselle had in the agency because he knows he can trust him because he can trust Giselle. Because oh yeah, this is another plot twist. Uh, the events of four were partially orchestrated by Mister Nobody. Uh, yes, then, that one I did enjoy that little twist. Yeah, so essentially he's doing information stuff Yakuza-wise, because what Giselle was doing uh, in 4 was getting information from nobody from Cartel specifically. Yeah. So what ended up happening is they found out Deckard Shaw was coming to kill off Dom's team, and that's when they made the plan of him being dead and keeping him dead, because it wasn't so much to keep him a secret or hidden, it was so that he could do more covert stuff because he was dead, uh, which included stealing the Ares stuff. 
Okay, I interpreted it differently in that he stole the Ares earlier on because he stole it as soon as it was invented and just in my head it was invented much earlier on in the timeline. Oh, it probably was and... invented. It's just uh, the, the thing to keep in mind here is after he's got Ares, he got uh, the girl, L, who is actually a pretty fun addition to the team so far. Uh, but she would have been with him all the time afterwards from how yeah. it was explained and that kind of leaves a gap in Tokyo Drift he also had this daughter figure that no one knew about. That's fair. I just, I interpre- interpreted the events differently and assumed he had taken, uh, based on the way it was described in the movie, I interpreted it as he took the Ares and was hiding L earlier on and kind of had a secret life that even the other Yakuza members were not aware of. And it was just until Deckard showed up that he uh, finally like took on a more direct fatherhood role. Because of the fact that he was now dead and didn't need to be involved with them. Oh, yeah, it is totally possible uh, that that yeah, might have happened. Don't, yeah. yeah, I just don't think that he'd be willing to be out and about doing his normal stuff with something so potent as the Ares. Or L, even, because L seemed to be his priority. Yeah. Yeah, I fully agree. I'm just <laughs> saying what you're saying is probably accurate. It's just not how I interpreted this. Oh yeah. The whole situation, the whole scenario is up for debate with how much they left up in the air. Uh, so uh, uh, to my previous statement about uh, characters that they might bring back for future movies, uh, there are two I have in mind that I thought might be interesting. Uh, the first uh, one is Leon from the first Fast and the Fierce movie. The only character from Dom's original team that we've not seen anything about since. Yeah, I guess you could argue he has unfinished plot lines and that he doesn't have a full plot line. Yeah. He's uh, kind of written out and then everyone else was brought back in at least briefly in other movies. Yeah, Jesse died. Uh, darn, what's the name of the guy uh, that hated uh, Brian? Oh, fuck. Um, oh, yeah, I can't remember. The one that died dead. in five. Yeah, he uh, died in five anyways. Uh, Letty died in four and came back. And uh, then we just got Leon. Yep. Uh, the other one is the villain from Fast, Too Fast, Too Furious, who promised the team he'd see them soon, and he never came back. Oh, yeah. Damn, what was his name? Arturo? Yeah. And that could be a way to bring back Ava Mendes' character mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Uh, the one I kind of want them to bring back, because as of our most recent depiction of him on screen, he's not dead, is Owen Shaw. I want them to bring him back and have him act as a kind of adversarial role until fucking Deckard Shaw steps in. He's like, hey, no, these are good people. They're and family. Then have, they're family. And then Owen Shaw shows up at the barbecue at the end of the movie as well. And is real awkward around fucking uh, Letty. <laughs> yeah, I, I know y'all killed my girlfriend in that uh, airplane fight, but it's cool now, right? Uh, the other one I n- doesn't fully count as a character with an incomplete plotline, but I would like to have them introduce into the main storyline. Uh, we're all about these families who we consider as having. Uh, two siblings, and then we reveal that there's actually a third secret sibling who we never introduced in the form of Jacob being added to the Toretto family. Uh, 
but also we know that Deckard and Owen also have a sister from Hobbs and Shaw. So yep. having her appear because she's a worked for like MI6 or something like that. So having her introduced to the uh, proper main series would also be pretty cool. Yeah, and they also like did say like ten eleven is the end of like the fast and the furious storyline, though there will probably be spin-offs as we know. Just yeah. having everyone that's been in the story so far play a major role that's alive come back. So like I, I don't care if Vin Diesel and the Rock have a problem. The Rock needs to be in like these last two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um Bring back uh, Michael he... uh Michael Rooker. Yep. Uh, uh playing resolve. his second uh, uh gruff, rough uh daddy figure. I mean, it's working out well for him so far. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he also played Yondu in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. Oh. I was yeah. aware of that. Also known as Mary Poppins. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. But yeah, those are really, really the only characters I could see they could bring back story-wise for certain mm-hmm. things. Uh, I mean, they could bring back uh, DK from 3, but like, what villainous things could he do? Yeah, he was just a wannabe Yakuza. Well, less so bringing back him, but like his, I think it was his uncle who was like the actual Yakuza leader who was pretty cool with uh, Sean by the end of the film. They could bring back his, uh, like the Yakuza leader and have him not even like in a main role, but as like a cameo appearance of like, uh, you guys need help, and he has connections to the underworld in Japan, so he can presumably provide them with cars or some shit like that. I mean, yeah. they do keep bringing back the FBI agent that Brian broke his nose. Yep. They, he's broken his, his nose, nose again, multiple and times and now, and yet he still keeps fucking showing up. And helping, yeah. Um, yeah. But at, at this point, I'm pretty sure he acknowledges that each time. He's like, okay, I kind of deserve that. <laughs> Um, another character, or well, not so much a bringing back character, but I want to like to stay around. Is I'd like Sean and his team to stay around. I, I would, I really enjoyed them bringing Sean and Bow Wow uh, back into the fold uh, and making them parts of the main storyline. Even though, like, it was acknowledged that Fast and the Furious took place in the same storyline and wasn't a spinoff or anything, but I like them being brought into the main storyline. So I would like it if they also stuck around. I want more rocket car shenanigans yeah. in Fast and Furious 10. I feel like these guys are like the mechanics of the team now, right? Like they can build a lot of crazy shit that the other yeah. team, like the rest couldn't. Yeah, like it was originally Tej was the uh, kind of mechanic, well, and then he it was he was good with chips. That was his whole thing. He was good with yeah. chips. He was kind of mechanic-y, and then when they got to fucking Ramsey, it just became he was a very good coder and good with computers, and she is too. So to have introduced these guys and have them be more like physical hardware mechanics uh, is super fucking cool. Um, yeah, because I fully believe they're the guys who rigged up the magnets in the back of the cars for the big end thing. They built the yeah. rocket ship, or the rocket mm. uh, Pontiac. Obviously they built the uh, rocket Pontiac Fiero. Yeah. Can we talk about the fucking scene where they race against the jet uh, and, like, they're clearly doing this whole test? First of all, the uh, interaction of, like, Tej being like, did you guys strap a rocket to the back of a Pontiac Fiero? And the one guy's like, yeah, it's cool, isn't it? And Tej is like, no. It really, really isn't. Um, This is really bad, guys. 
that fucking scene where they race against the jet and like, they all start celebrating. It's like, it's like uh, the jet's still went faster than the car. It's like, yeah, but the car didn't explode or melt or anything. It's great. And then immediately after they finish saying that, the car fucking explodes. I'll be honest, I fucking burst out laughing in the fucking theater when that scene <laughs> happens. Not even at the car exploding, just at them commenting on, yeah, but the car didn't explode. I started fucking laughing. I mean, to be uh, fair, all I, the scenes... I kind of expected that to happen because the one guy was like, you, uh, this isn't going to work. You're doing something wrong. Yeah, it's, the, every it's just going to blow up midway. Every scene with them was great. Like, a lot of the comments, like when they're flying the plane and he's doing the last minute calculations and explaining what could happen if it goes wrong. I'm like, guys, we can still hear you. Yeah. Or fucking Tej calling out Roman for eating a whole bunch of fucking junk food. And then I think the best part of that, the payoff to that, is when they uh, get back down to Earth and are going, apparently go straight from landing on Earth to the fucking barbecue. Yeah. And, uh, to the point where it almost seems like they were planning on having the barbecue earlier, but then realized that Roman and Tej couldn't make it until they got back to Earth, so they just postponed the barbecue until the day they got back to Earth. Yeah. But then fucking Roman has a line of, guys, I've been eating space food for weeks. I need these fucking burgers. Well, and Tej is like... Aren't good enough? They're fat free, yeah, man. Tej is like, you haven't been eating space food. You've been eating Tootsie Rolls this entire time. <laughs> Oh, fuck. Can we talk about the fact that Roman clearly got shot dozens of times and had no wounds on his yeah, body? He, that that was his main point that uh, made him bring up the fact that they might be invincible. Because I watched that scene, and like you see the dozens of people surround him. And in my mind, I'm like, alright, someone's going to come busting out of the woodworks and kill all these like uh, military police or whatever the fuck they are. I thought, that's how they were gonna, I thought that's how they were going to introduce a little nobody into the team. Yeah, I assumed that was how they were going to introduce someone into the team as well. I wasn't no, sure if it was, was going to be a little Roman nobody. being in another Roman situation. Yeah, I was like, alright, so this is how they introduce someone. Someone's going to show up, kill all the soldiers, and then Roman's going to be like, oh, yeah. And then, like, they probably won't even show it. It'll happen off screen, and they'll bust into the, like, fight later. And Roman will be like, I survived, ha ha ha. And then, nope. Roman with the pistol kills a dozen sh- soldiers while they are all shooting at him while he's standing still. And, like, in my mind, I'm going fucking nuts. I'm like, this is getting too much for my suspension of disbelief. And then we have that conversation later where Roman points out that it's too much for his suspension of disbelief. And immediately I was okay with the scene. I was like, all right, if yeah. someone's calling it out in the movie. Immediately then it, after the specifically, shooting, he looks it was, down at his jacket and sees all the bullet holes in his jacket. Yeah, like, well, let's not forget. What? This also goes into him driving through the minefield and then getting crushed by the car, but not really. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, to the point where, like, I was upset with it until it clearly became the case where the writers put it in to call out the fact that the characters survive ridiculous situations. So they made the most ridiculous situation so that they could have the characters themselves call it the fact that they survive ridiculous situations. Uh, Even getting a callback later when they're in space and Tej is like Roman's freaking the fuck out because they're going to space in fucking rubber suits. And Tej is just like, didn't you say you're immortal? Why the fuck are you freaking out right now? Uh, I will say that the one problem with this though is 
of course we know they're not going to kill off characters in this franchise at this point. But because they have in the past, it feels almost like there is that little bit of tension. And this just gets rid of all of that tension. Like, you, nothing's going to happen. Until uh, yeah, there the was... end of the series, when Roman finally comes to the realization he's going to have to sacrifice himself to save the rest of the family. Uh, see, what I'm thinking is where we know that the last movie is a two-parter. Part of me is kind of hoping that the whole reason they do this is they really want to like hammer home the fact that the characters are immortal to remove all tension, only so that when they do kill off characters in the first half of the final movie, uh, or the first half of the first part of the two-parter, um, it has that much more fucking impact so that the when they're fighting back in the second part, it's like, you killed fucking Roman, and he was arguing weeks ago that he was immortal. Fuck you! <laughs> that's what I assume that was. Like, I don't, I have no reason to base it on, but that's what I hope it is. It's them setting up and acknowledging that the characters are essentially immortal, just so that they can later come back and kill off all the characters. Uh, or not all the characters, but kill off characters and it have that much more of an impact because they've already acknowledged themselves that the characters are essentially immortal. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Another thing here, a big point of the movie is, uh, for the longest time in this franchise, the joke's been that they're going to space, and this is the movie that finally does it. Yep. How how do you feel about the space part of this movie? I was kind of okay with it. It It was a little bit silly, but it was handled in a way that... That it made it, sense with the rest of what we've been shown up till now. Yeah, it wasn't no, it, too far out there. Like, it could have just as easily, instead of having them launching it off the back of a plane, which is how a lot of fucking shit gets to space, um, not proper fucking spaceships, but it is a thing they have done before, is launch rockets off the back of a plane. Um, they could have just as easily just built a fucking ramp and then drove the rocket car off that <laughs> and explained that as how they're getting to space. I'm not, so I think I would the, have enjoyed that more. I think I would have found that a lot funner but the way that they handled getting to space uh i'm kind of okay with uh just because of the fact that like they clearly at least tried to take it somewhat seriously yeah and we got that glorious interaction between roman the mechanics and uh the other guy i can't remember his name tesh yeah roman is too terrified to do those absolutely crazy stunts like driving out of a plane or sending a car into space with rockets on the back of it. I like it. I feel a little bit bad because fucking Roman has just become a punch punching bag for everyone else in the group to the point where like, now that you acknowledge the previous movie where they jumped out of the fucking plane and he's just like, no guys, this is insane. I'm not driving out of a plane. This is never going to work. And then Tej just, like, triggers his parachute to, like, yank him out of the fucking plane. It's yep. just like, God, Man. everyone in this group is just like, they keep talking about how you don't have to do this if you don't want to. This is my fight. and Unless you're Roman. And all that. Unless you're fucking Roman, in which case we will drag you kicking and screaming into yep. this fight. And Roman like- repeatedly talks about how he doesn't want to do shit. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. Too bad you're gonna do it. This was your plan, you know. But man, I came to a realization while watching F9, and that's the fact that because Roman is invincible, 
if you want to survive a situation, you get in Roman's car. But also, if you want to be targeted by absolutely everyone, you get in Roman's car. Yep. You will survive, but you will not believe you're going to su survive you, you for will, even a second of it. You will take all of the hits, all of the punishment. I mean, it's partially Roman's fault, because every one of them will like pick a very fast car that's good at off-roading or something like that. And Roman will pick the one that looks the most like a fucking tank so that he can survive everything that gets thrown at him. But because he's the one driving a tank, that's the one everyone else chooses to fucking target. He chooses the tank now because he chose in uh, the eighth movie, he chose the Lamborghini when they were going to the Arctic. Yeah, that's he right. And it was targeted him because he was in the bright orange car while everyone else in the tactical cars. Yep. That's true. I forgot about that scene. Lamborghini dragged through the frozen water under the ice, pulls him out of the water via grappling hook to his door. He uses the door as a shield against oncoming fire from snowmobiling extremists, and then takes out like the four or five different soldiers on snowmobiles with automatic rifles with the door and a pistol. And it works. Yeah. If it wasn't for Han, Roman would be my favorite character. <laughs> so, I guess with the talk with space as well, what do you think, because like, space has been like the joke for the longest time, of like how it can fast top itself now. What do you think the next thing is? Because I personally believe it's a drag race on the moon. I like the idea of drag race on the moon. I think they're going to actually go to the bottom of the ocean. I don't know how, but I think they're going to get like submarine cars and go to the bottom of the ocean. Possibly. In my mind, uh, Shirley's there on uh, at the end of the 10th movie. They find out that she has a secret moon base and they have to get to it. Or, you know, there's a laser on the moon that they need to destroy. So someone's yeah, going to have to drag race the laser to stop it. Yeah, Mine's a similar... Of what I've been thinking. Of my... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, because uh, this movie, they decide to take the... Or Fast 9, they finally decided to take the device from the surface of the Earth and put it into a satellite, launch it into orbit. But no, that's not enough because uh, there was still the process of it leaving the planet while the group was chasing after it. So, uh, yeah, that's still not out of their reach, apparently. So it's got to be put onto the moon well beforehand before they get started on the case. Uh, see, I assume something similar. It's just, I assume her secret base is going to be at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, and she's just going to control a bunch of drones from the bottom of the ocean. And they're going to realize the only way to stop her is to invade her base at the bottom of the ocean. And it's just going to end up with Roman ramming into a big glass wall and the fucking water floods in and kills everyone inside. Uh, so including Roman. Thinking about it, a lot of these set pieces have to do with like, you know, like the moving parts of, like, something being transported or an escape route or something like that. Wouldn't it be wild if, like, in 10 and 11, like, Charlie's Theron's whole move is, like, I just fortified to this one bunker so you can't come get me? And it's like, are you sure you don't want to transport something or maybe go for a drive? No. I'm just staying here. <laughs> it's That's them being like, I, I know, we'll just heist her supplies repeatedly as she gets supply drops. Repeatedly heisting supplies until she has to leave to get food. Oh, no, that's why uh, 10 was referred to as fast and 11 was referred to as furious. 
Yeah. 10 is going to be the transporting. They're going to succeed in getting to where they're going, and then they're just going to bunker right down. And so they're going to get mad in 11. <laughs> oh, that's exactly what it is. 11 is her, like, transporting something. Them trying to heist it. Them failing to heist the transport. So she actually gets everything she needs to be and just, yeah, fucking bunkers down. And it's them just being very mad about the fact that she won't come outside. Okay, guys, what if we, we can't use our cars inside your moon base? You gotta, like, be cool with us here. We can't move fast underwater. How are <laughs> okay, we gonna get in there? Okay, guys, what if we put wheels on her base, thus making it a mobile fortress, and then we can take it down? Then we drag but it see, with tow cables and push it with electromagnets. See, that's probably gonna be the twist reveal, is, like, she has a secret base. For instance, let's go with on the moon for argument's sake. And it's them, like, sieging it, and then, like, Right as they like get inside the base, it'll like lift up a foot and then it'll reveal wheels on the bottom and it'll start racing across the moon's <laughs> surface. And it's like, if she gets to the dark side of the moon, we all lose. <laughs> well, she's hiding, she's hiding on the dark side, but has to get to the light side to charge the laser. Oh, right. Yeah. She has to get to the light side of the moon to transmit a signal back to Earth. Okay. I, I got one for you. What if instead of this, it's on the moon, it's the base, and they can't figure out how they're going to take it down because it doesn't move and they can't get into it. But then someone realizes, wait a second, it is moving because it's on the moon. And then the moon is the actual vehicle that they use to defeat it. Are they going to ram the moon uh, into the Earth? I hate the idea of them coming to the realization that the base is moving because the moon is moving. Because then every argument you ever have is, this thing isn't still, it's on the Earth, so it's moving. Exactly. <laughs> every every like, spin-off series after that has to be them sieging a building, and them driving cars really fast while they're still, and people are like, your cars aren't going fast. like, actually, because the Earth's moving at this speed, our cars are racing forward faster than a car has ever gone before. I'm faster than that building. But on a bit, much bigger degree than you think. And then Cypher comes in and is like, uh, look at things relatively. You, relative to that building, you're Wait, I thought moving. we killed you in Fast 11. <laughs> and then it's just a whole bunch of physicists at home deciding to end their lives because it's not worth it to live in a world where Fast and the Furious exists. <laughs> in a world that Fast and the Furious doesn't exist... No nope. world where all of this is possible. Physics, ooh, that would be brand new uncharted territory. <laughs> no, I mean, like, in our world, physicists start ending their lives because of the fact that the Fast and the Furious movies exist, and it's just not worth it to debate with people while none of this makes sense. Yeah, I was going to bring up the fact when uh, Keith and I were saying it's going to the moon and you were going saying it was going to the bottom of the ocean... I was going to bring up the fact that how are they going to make cars that can withstand the pressure of the ocean floor? The, the water pressure at the ocean floor. And I'm like, oh, wait, that goes both ways. Yeah, you're talking about airtight cars on the moon. Because, you know, there's like, yes, they put Roman and Tej in those fucking deep sea diving suits so that they could go into space. There's no fucking way that there's going to be a scene of them driving a fucking like Dodge Charger on the moon. And every single character is wearing fucking astronaut suits, so we yeah. can't see what they're doing. And yeah. as soon as they go over the smallest of bumps or the lip of a crater... <laughs> it just launches <laughs> off the moon. And they're like, uh, guys? It's like, please? Uh, I accidentally put myself in orbit, guys. Oh, oh no. you know oh, what that's, it is. That's they the attach grappling line. hook. 
They attach grappling hooks to the bottom of the car, so every time they accidentally launch off, they just launch the grappling hook to pull themselves back to the moon. Oh my god, it's a reverse pendulum trick that uh, Tom pulled when the bridge was shot out at the beginning of 9. Yeah. Oh god, fucking Karzan? Oh, that was that was great. I loved at the end where Letty and Dom just look at each other. It's like, that was new. And they just give each other the look like, we're never doing that again. They, neither of them See, were actually was, either. Do neither of them had seatbelts on. I'm, yeah, that kind of bugged me that neither of them had seatbelts on and the car fucking rolled and they were fine. But the thing that disappointed me the most is the fact that they, like, when the car got to the other side of, the, or to the other island, it, like, flipped and rolled and, like, crashed. Part of me, it's a part of me that I hate, but part of me was really hoping that they would somehow line up their swing perfectly with a road and just drive as soon as they got to the <laughs> other island. No, they, uh, they managed to adhere to physics enough so that uh, a pendulum starting at one elevation will not swing to the same elevation on the other side. Yeah, I know. That's the one time they adhered to physics. Which is funny, because like, the Karzan situation completely makes you forget the fact that Tej in a jeep drove up a broken suspension bridge. Yeah. Yeah, that scene fucking happened. Like, there's no tension, there's nothing for them to get traction on to drive up. It's it's essentially a more egregious version of, if you remember from fucking Hobbit Battle of the Five Armies, when uh, a bridge collapses and Legolas runs up a collapsing bridge. Um, it's that except just more egregious because it's a car, not an elf. And who oh boy, do you forget that immediately once the fucking Karzan situation happens? Oh, yeah, yeah, everything up to this point made sense until Karzan. Yep. Which is ridiculous because that also includes the fucking Roman getting shot scene. You have all of that shenanigans happen. We don't have Roman calling attention to it just yet. And then we have fucking Karzan and it's like, I'm okay with everything that happened in this movie up until this point. Them driving 80 miles an hour to run landmines. I, now that I think about it, I kind of think that the writers of these movies are geniuses because they like so aggressively attack your suspension of disbelief that in the moment you can't remember everything that's happening because the most recent thing that happened is even worse. Yeah, it's like a reset. Tarzan was a reset for everything that happened up to that point. And then right after, you get a cooling down period where the characters are like, we just went through that, right? It's like, we did all of that unscratched. We're immortal. And then just immediately, yeah, we're immortal. That, or you're just really dumb. Like, uh, to call attention to another scene that, like, perhaps you didn't think of it while you were watching it, but raises some questions. But when fucking... uh. Jacob is breaking into the place to steal the second half of the Ares. Uh, and so they all show up around the church and like, we know he's somewhere within a hundred meters of here or something like that. Um, and then fucking Ramsey like realizes that her computer isn't working and all the cameras in the area are getting shut down. And they're like, they're using some device to shut down all electronic devices within the area. Meanwhile, they're using electronic devices to communicate with each other. And there is never a fucking interruption to that fucking sequence. They're definitely not using fucking old-school analog radios to talk to each other. They're using little tiny 
pieces that can't be fucking seen to talk to each other. That and there is would be disrupted by that much electromagnetic power. I mean, let's not but... forget that this is also a franchise that earlier on people had psychic conversations in multiple cars. Yep. Yep. I'm not saying that this is something bad. I'm just saying it's one of those things where like the writers of this movies of these movies are clearly fucking geniuses because they know how to like attack your suspension of disbelief so aggressively that you don't even realize it's being activated at some points. So I think there's one more big scene that we haven't really talked about yet, and that is the uh, final magnet truck chase down. Yeah. So one thing I want to talk about on this one is it, it's kind of a compounding thing, but. The guy makes the choice to betray Jacob midway through success, which ultimately results in him losing. Yes. Yeah. And this is after he had a scene where Cypher just straight up insulted him. Yeah, said someone had his hand, he was a puppet with a hand up his ass. Which is kind of revealing about the guy because it makes it very clear that uh, insults work if you want to get in his good book. Uh, insult him aggressively, and he'll clearly switch over to your side. Well, he even states at the beginning of Jacob of the movie where it's like, uh, she's scary, but it's a little turning on for me. Yeah. I kind of understand why they did it, because the easiest point to betray Dom is, or the easiest way he could think of, or not Dom, the easiest way he could think of to betray Jacob is to get Jacob on top of the truck and kick him out. If they manage to successfully fucking connect to the Ares and get everything... I kind of understand why he chooses to betray him that way, because if they manage to successfully upload the Ares and have control over all computers at that point, they're going to have a hard time convincing him to get into a position where he's vulnerable so that they can kick him off the car and kill him. Uh, <laughs> so using the excuse of there's something wrong with the satellite uplink, I need you to look into it, kind of makes an amount of sense. Well, he doesn't even uh, say, like, you look at it, he just says, ah, oh, there's something wrong, and he's like, okay, I'll go up. What if he didn't say he would go? What if he's like, uh, oh, send teeth guy? Yeah, it, it it could have worked out much more poorly. It also could have worked out a lot better for them. Also not the best idea to do it, like, to try and betray him while they're being assaulted by Dom's group, especially after Dom's group had just... Like, he waits until their truck was the only vehicle left. Like, they've already taken back L and now have control to the key to Ares or whatever the fuck it was called. So, like, they could have waited until Dom's situation was fully resolved, either using fucking Jacob to kill off Dom and the only threat to their success, or using Dom to kill off Jacob so that he gets rid of him for him without fucking Jacob realizing he's been betrayed. There were smarter ways to go about it, I kind of understand why he did it that way. It just, there were definitely smarter ways to go about it. Oh, definitely. And then we got, like, mm -hmm. the fight scene. But the other thing I kind of wanted to mention was, so Han attaches his car to the back of the truck. They save L, And then that's ultimately the car that Jacob ends up on. Yes. And then Jacob hops into the car. And then he just kind of fucking drives away. I was like, oh, is he going to, like, take out a satellite dish or something so that they can't transmit the signal? Is that what's going on? And no, it's See, just because uh, at the end, uh, Letty's supposed to do the magnet thing with Dom on the other side so they can like hit the axle of the truck and flip it. And it's like, oh no, we can't get to you. And then all of a sudden, Jacob's like, but I can't. And he comes around the corner. See, what I assumed was going to happen when I was in the theater is like, we see 
like a earlier scene where Cypher's at the fucking hangar where Jacob was operating out of. Yeah. So I assumed where Jacob was driving off to was to go kill Cypher for betraying or for convincing his team to betray him. Yeah. I assumed that's where Jacob was running off to. And then we just get that, well, he can't get to you. And it's just like, but I can. And it's just like, okay, so he was just driving around the city aimlessly until he happened to hear over the comms that they needed help. He needed his also, hero- heroic entrance. Yeah, also, he did Han leave us... next street over. Did Han leave a spare communicator in the car for Jacob to, like, connect to their communications and Again, hear what they're talking about? Psychic communication between cars. You're right. You're right. I gotta stop questioning how they communicate with each other. Man, this movie was perfect, though. I have zero complaints. Also, the, uh, it, when you think about it, too, the ridiculousness of they had to flip the truck to stop the plan, but then they had to flip the truck back up to stop the uh, stealth bomber. Yeah, they had to flip the truck because the truck was completely impenetrable to anything they shot at it. Which is a- they didn't even bother shooting the tires. Shh, Matt, it's fine. Um... And you know why they didn't shoot the tires? Because if they shoot the tires, then the car can't move anymore, and they only know how to heist things that are moving. That's true. Um, so, them flipping the truck, which the thing I fucking loved about that is they flipped the truck, and at the time they flipped it, it was on, like, level terrain, and it continues going at the speed of the driving cars until it hits a hill when it starts going downhill, and then it goes faster. And it's... Oh, this movie's fucking perfect. I. Zero complaints, 10 out of 10. It's working. My brain's being broken by this movie. And the fact that in order to flip it, they had to synchronize slamming on their brakes so the back of their cars would lift up so they could start rocking a long truck back and forth. Yeah, it was essentially they tried to grab the front of the car and like pull it backwards so that the momentum of the back of the car would cause it to flip over top. And the fact that, like, they all knew exactly what they had to do, like, you could argue that, like, when they were preparing for this plan, that was something the team had discussed amongst themselves of, like, this is our backup plan, this is our backup backup plan, this is our backup 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 plan. But, like, the fact that fucking Jacob was immediately on board with the plan, knew exactly what needed to be done and exactly what his role to play in it would be. Well, he's a Toretto. He is a, oh my god. He's the useless Toretto, apparently. He's clearly not, though. He's clearly very talented. Also, I need to point something out here, uh, Peter. Do you think these are the type of people that have backup plans? God, no. I'm just saying, like, the fact that everyone knew exactly what needed to be done in that moment is fucking mind-boggling. I take that back. Most of them don't have backup plans. I I feel like Tej and no just Tej. I feel like Tej is the kind of person who would have a backup plan prepared. That's fair. As yeah. seen when he pulled the parachute on Roman's car, he clearly programmed in remote access to Roman's parachute as a backup plan for if Roman didn't want to jump. Most of his backup plans, I assume, are involving getting Roman to do something he really doesn't want to do. Uh, and think mm-hmm. about the, there's kind of one more ridiculous scene I can. And that's when Dom with the power family stops all those guys from getting across the bridge. Oh, yeah. Pulls down the roof with two chains. That was, like, they're all fucking, like, 
kicking him, and then he like sees out of the corner of his eye one person starting to climb up the ladder because Letty has yet to leave because she wants to watch Dom die, I guess. Um, He's like, family! Uh, yeah, and then he fucking climbs up while they're all trying to push him down, pushes through them, grabs the guy off the ladder, throws him into the water below, <laughs> and then pulls the He brutally murders people this whole scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then fucking, it's all for naught because Letty dives in at, to the water after him uh, to save him. And then we get the very heart-touching line of, it doesn't matter if you're not there. Which is like a real shitty way to say, I would rather us both die and leave Brian an orphan than have you die individually. Yeah, and the thing is, honestly, the thing that's most ridiculous about this scene is that he does all of this without a car in sight. Yeah. And, but it's just like the uh, the end of Seven, where he's fighting Deckard Shaw on top of the parkade. And the and street the always wins. crumbling, and <laughs> then he just stomps it to crumble out the ground underneath Shaw. Yeah, but you see... Oh, the, that's the best line in the entire yeah. series of, in a street fight, the street always wins. Oh my god. Yeah, but you see, there's a few factors that made that a little less ridiculous. The first part is, it was already crumbling, so... Regardless, it was just timing-wise. But that's immediately followed up by him getting in the car and doing a barrel roll over a helicopter and throwing a bag of grenades onto it to explode. Yep. So, we didn't really question is... the parkade going down. He throws the bag of grenades and then hobs down on the ground, pulls out his pistol, and manages to shoot the bag of grenades, causing it to explode. But Which this one goes from... Work, yes. Yeah, this one goes from Dom pulling down the bridge, killing a bunch of people being fine himself, and then a downtime, like, flashback moment. Well, the best part is he's clearly unconscious under the water having the flashback, like he's not aware of his surroundings, which means he's probably attempting to breathe, because most of the time when human bodies go unconscious, they continue breathing, and if you go unconscious under the water, that's when you fucking drown. So... I guess that can be explained away by the fact that Letty clearly dived in right after him to save his life. Even though he wakes up from the fucking, like, unconscious flashback dream time in time to see Letty diving into the water to get him, so... Yep. That was all the thing that happened. But what if end of Fast 11 he wakes up, he had drowned? Man, if they erase two and a half movies by saying that Dom drowned in that scene... I would be A-O-fucking-K with that. There's nothing these movies can do at this point that I'm going to be like, no, that I, I dislike what that... That is annoying and does not make sense. You've been in a coma for two years. You've been dreaming this entire time. Man, if the end of Fast and Furious 12... Or not 12, 11, ends with the realization that I've been in a coma for years and I imagined <laughs> everything after Tokyo Drift, still okay with it. The movie goes like, it's okay to wake up now. <laughs> Oh, God. I, uh, in answer to your question, Keith, I have to assume that because there was no car in sight, that actually those chains were made out of repurposed engines that were, like, melted down and reforged into a chain. And that's how he still had the power to do all that. Yes, because Mr. Nobody knew this was Mr. Nobody's base. Oh, wait, we already solved this. The Earth is moving, so it works. Right, yes, he's right. on a vehicle. The vehicle is Earth. He didn't realize it, but he has long since evolved to the point where he is invincible in all situations because he's always in a vehicle. Or no, he it, because he has to be either in a vehicle 
or being caught by a car specifically, he only survived that one because he was underground and thus inside the earth. There we go. <laughs> now it makes sense. Yeah, we're just making a whole new pantheon revolving around the Fast and Furious family. Each one of them is a car god. I don't know if I'll be upset or happy if this comes true. If, if at any point in the next two movies, someone says a line to the effect of, we're moving because the Earth is moving, I consider this entire podcasting experience the three of us have been going through for about two years now uh, to be an absolute success. <laughs> Everything was worth it if they say that one fucking line. It's the equivalent of the, uh, was it, a thousand uh, monkeys writing on a typewriter and one makes Shakespeare? That's what we did. Yeah. Yep. Oh. God, these movies are just gold. And the scary thing is, I can easily see that happening in a movie. <laughs> yep. Uh, but we don't have any, uh, uh, no. The ninth one just recently came out, so we don't, there's no way we have any date for the next one. Unfortunately not. We gotta wait until whenever 10 and 11 gets announced. Damn. Yeah, we don't even have uh, a writer assigned to it. We know it's gonna be directed by Justin Lin and produced by the same people who produced Fast 9. We don't have even a screenwriter assigned to it yet. Yeah. Unfortunate. We've still got a while to wait. We got Matt hooked. <laughs> I'm so glad we got Matt hooked. This is amazing. <laughs> Which is great because Matt, earlier on in this podcast, was complaining about the fact that he had to watch all these movies over the course of this week. And it was an experience that potentially left him furious. And yet by <laughs> this point in the podcast, we got him talking about how he can't wait for the next movie to come out. Yeah, at this point, I can think I think I can safely say that it's less furious and more just insanity is set in. That's true. Oh, shit. Uh, according to Wikipedia... The uh, Fast and Furious 10 was originally supposed to be released on April 2nd, 2021. Uh, but because of COVID, it got pushed back to the point where 9 was released after the release date for 10. So clearly they got at least a rough plan of what's going to happen. Yeah, they just need someone to write it all down yeah, in a way be... that makes sense, but still <laughs> suspends disbelief to the nth degree. Might be sooner than we expected then. Maybe. Yeah. For all we know, since this is just a comatose dream, it's done now. Uh, any other thoughts that you think we should share about this fantastic, fast, furious series? No, that's it for my end. Yeah, that's all I got. So do we have a question for the audience, then? I'm certainly interested to hear what other people's favorite movies of the series are. More so than that, I want to know their ideas of how they one up going to space. Yes. Uh, I want our audience to tell us where do they go next? Is it under the is it the bottom of the ocean? Is it the moon? Is it somewhere we haven't the even heard of? Center of the earth. Do they travel through time? Is that <laughs> that's the next oh speed? The next speed they break, break is they go faster than the speed of light and travel through time. I'm they doubling down on the moon. Yet to break the sound barrier. So yeah. maybe they will reach brand new speeds in the next one. Maybe the one up maybe. is just finally having Sean Cena and Vin Diesel hug. Maybe the one up is it goes back to its roots and it's literally just a movie about drag racing. Oh, if the last movie is just like a tournament arc of all of them like one on one racing each other to determine who's oh, the best. Oh, 
or even better or not better uh worse much worse uh <laughs> we it's revealed that uh fucking the toretto father never actually died he also was working for mr nobody and decided <laughs> to fake his death that, no, that's how sorry. they were able to keep the house after he died <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, it's revealed that Cypher is actually part of their family. <laughs> Cypher's their mom! <laughs> my god. Oh god, yes. That's absolutely my question for the audience, is where the fuck do they go after this movie? Yeah, what's the one-up for the next movie? Because you know the next movie is going to have one. Oh yeah. Uh, so, for our question last time, it was, if you could adopt any fictional character, or if you wanted a fictional character, who would be the best pet? Bonus points, of course, if they could defeat Toothless. Uh, so our first response was from Amy Longley. Uh, you might remember her as the person who said that I was the monster that should have been in Resident Evil 8. Uh, and she responds with Toothless. Yeah. I disagree, but okay. Uh, and then we have a response from Yazu underscore Rose, uh, who uh, said, The wolf from To Your Eternity. I am okay. Not okay. familiar with uh, not familiar with that one. But it's an anime feeder. Yes. Yeah, I've but seen... I ain't some weeb. I've seen the first episode. It's interesting, and I could certainly see that. But also, I don't think it fits the category of pet. But the it's important not entirely question... a wolf. The important question is: Can it be toothless? Yes. Uh. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> uh, without having a lot of room for growth, without yeah, having seen that. anything to do with this, I can assume it can beat Toothless. The potential is there. There's no debate that Toothless can defeat Toothless. Yes, I think it's safe to say that anything can beat itself, and thus Toothless can beat it Toothless. But can Roman beat himself? Since he is immortal, can an immortal beat an immortal? Yeah. The moment he stops believing in himself is the moment he dies. Cool. Yeah, we haven't considered the fact that his power is completely belief-based. I do like the idea of his power being... Not to go back to the movie, but the idea of his power being belief-based and it just being like him holding up the jacket and just being like, man, look at this. It makes no sense. I should have died. And then blood just sprays out of him and he collapses <laughs> to the ground. <laughs> Uh, any other suggestions for pets? Uh, no, those were the two we got this uh, time. All but right. If you would uh, like to answer our question, uh, we always put the poll up on Instagram. But of course, you can send an email with your answer or uh, even just reach out to us through YouTube comments. And did anyone successfully guess this episode? Uh, so we had two comments from uh, Tachi underscore Camargo. Uh, although one was, it's not really a guess, but it wasn't wrong. So on the Instagram page itself, uh, put two pictures uh, or emoticons of two cars. Uh, nice. Which, uh, I guess that is correct. We did uh, review that movie specifically. Uh, but she did correctly guess Fast 9. Which Matt also got the title wrong, so good on you. Nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, recommendations. Let's do recommendations. I don't know why I said that like it was an option for us not to. Uh, cool. I'll go first. Yes. Um, <laughs> sorry, I don't know why that felt weird. Um, so I'm going to recommend uh, a Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. It's 
if you're on board with this kind of silly physics breaking shit, you should absolutely watch Hobson Shaw as well. It's exactly as much of this as everything else. That's fair. Uh, for me, uh, the suggestion I have, and if you definitely liked Too Fast, Too Furious, you're going to like this, and that is Need for Speed, Most Wanted. Yep. It's pretty much beat for beat the plot of Too Fast, Too Furious. A hundred percent. It's just Too Fast, Too Furious again. The, the game even starts with you in, well, it's a BMW that looks like Bride Skyline. Uh, and you get caught by the police, and then you're recruited to work for them to bring down an uh, overarching criminal organization. And the lady that's been there the whole time is actually a cop. Yep. It's fun. Um, what's your suggestion, Matt? Yes. I was also going to recommend Need for Speed, but in my case, the Need for Speed 2014 movie. <laughs> With Aaron Paul? Yeah. It wasn't a fantastic movie by any stretch of the word, but it was certainly enjoyable. Not necessarily to the extent of the death-defying, reality-breaking stunts pulled in uh, Fast and Furious, but it certainly had some action-packed moments and amazing one-liners. If I remember correctly, it also involves a scene where a man working in an office uh, hears a car revving its engine outside and then strips naked and walks outside to the car. Uh, or maybe not naked. He might strip down to his underwear, but still. Yes. Yes. A plus filmmaking in my book is all I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's another movie about racing. So if that's up your alley, that should fit in there somewhere. Also, I should point out, I said a wrong thing earlier and I realized it recently. Uh, I refer to the villain uh, from Too Fast, Too Furious as Arturo. That's actually the one from Fast Five. Uh, our, the villain from Too Fast, Too Furious was Carter Verone. Verone, that's it. Ah, right. Uh, but yes, let's end this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so with, with that said, we'll try our best at an ending this time. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> So thank you for tuning in and listening this week. As per usual, we'll be back in another two weeks' time to talk about some other topic. You can find us on all podcast streaming services. You can find us on YouTube as well. Follow us on Instagram. Leave a like, comment, review, whatever you wish to do. It certainly helps us, and we would very much like to hear back from you. And, uh... If you want to talk to us or reach out to us via email, you can contact us as per usual at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in this time and uh, look forward to next time. When uh, uh, So actually, before, before we get into what? the next time, I do want to acknowledge one thing that uh, is pretty cool information to share with all of our viewers. And uh, that is that we've actually hit 2,000 full-time downloads of the podcast. Ooh. Ooh. pretty hype yeah uh, of course as Matt was saying uh, make sure to tune in in a fortnight uh, when we talk about oh it just says family again but it's in Russian that's going to be a task to master do I have to learn Russian god damn it I'm surprised that you could actually read that yeah.